Welcome back to Living While Dying, an ALS story from Minnesota Public Radio News. I'm Kathy Worzer. It was sometime in late February of 2015 when I went to visit Bruce Kramer, as I usually did every two weeks or so. This time, we were going to talk about planning for an end-of-March party to celebrate the launch of our upcoming book, We Know How This Ends, Living While Dying. Since I had my tape recorder, I thought we'd also probably do a quick recorded conversation just to do a public radio check-in with Bruce. As I got off the elevator at his condo, I could hear this music all the way down the hall. The music was muffled, of course, but I knew Bruce was blasting it at full volume. He had a fantastic audio system. And if it was that loud, it must mean he was deep in thought or perhaps in a mournful place. I wasn't sure. I quietly opened the front door and was blown away not only by the volume of the music, but by the exquisite blend of voices. I recognized the group as Voces 8 and the CD as Eventide. Their ethereal music held a special place on his playlist, and Bruce so loved the group, he bought the CD for friends and caregivers. That music was the prelude to a very difficult conversation, a conversation I was not prepared to have. It was about the choices we make in our lives, especially as we near the end. We are not powerless. You know, for a person with ALS who has gone through the process of losing physical capacity and feeling powerless in that process, that there was nothing to be done. To be able to, to be offered the fact that you could live as you see yourself living until you can't is tremendously empowering. We also talked about the moments in each of our lives when we sense a tipping point, the critical moment when you know at your core that the events that have been occurring, small as they might be, lead to an unstoppable or irreversible change. We've all had those moments, including those whose lives have drawn short because of a terminal illness. They know when they've reached their tipping point. Bruce Kramer found himself there in February of 2015. I think all of us live a balance between our love for life and when life becomes uh, too much for us. Bruce Kramer has been living with the challenges wrought by ALS, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, since being diagnosed with the muscle-destroying disease in December of 2010. He's not able to use his limbs. He tires easily. His breathing is supported by an external ventilator, a BiPAP machine that allows conversation despite the bursts of air blown into his nostrils from an attached tube. So this balance, which I have been doing for the last four years, has uh, suddenly showed how it might tip. It's not to say that I don't want to live, that I love my life. But it is to say that the challenges of ALS at a certain point become so much that the question of quality of your life is uh, a serious consideration. Can I ask, what is your definition of quality of life at this point? Well, it's obviously not that I'm exercising every day. I think that uh, 
for now, I still have the ability, the capability of enjoying my friends and family. And yet, if my physical or mental capacities were to be so compromised that I could not enjoy that, I could not have that sense of engagement with uh, the people that I love, the my judgment of the quality would be uh, much harsher than it is now, even though I'm paralyzed from the neck down. Bruce Kramer describes his life at this point as a beautiful process of winding down. But his wife, Ev Emerson, says the increasing physical pain is becoming a challenge. Nighttime is the hardest. I think during the day, Bruce stays quite busy and engaged with projects and people. But at night, when there's nothing to take his mind off pain, most of the pain is in joints, in his back, in his spine, and nights are difficult. Uh, We try to do as best we can with pain medications, but sometimes that isn't enough. Nighttime, everyone's asleep, including the cats, and I am not able to move, I'm not able to shift, not able to do the things that most of us would do just to get a little more comfortable. So what for most people would be a minor irritation over time grows into a very painful situation. And at those times, um, I would rate the pain up in the 8, 9, 10 area. Well, you've talked about living with joy. You can't have a lot of joy when you're in pain. Is that when despair starts to set in? I don't feel despair. What sets in is just a sense of helplessness, powerlessness. You know, I think it's interesting that we focused on pain because I think that's what most of us imagine would be the kind of thing that would be the tipping point. But I don't think that's really going to be the tipping point for me. I think the tipping point for me will have something to do with uh, what I said before about feeling so powerless and so unable to engage with the life that I love that that life is just virtually impossible because of uh, the loss of capacity. The fact that my breathing is getting worse is one factor that compromises my life. This sounds to me then, and correct me if I'm wrong, you keep using the word compromised. Are you talking about the loss of your voice? I don't know. I I really don't know. That could be part of it. My voice is my one way of, of having any say about the environment and how things happen to me. I think if I were looking back and saying, well, what would you do if you lost the use of your hands? Um, I couldn't have answered that question early on. I think what I'm talking about more is that sense of engagement, that sense of being a part of uh, living and growing in which I can see that my life will continue to improve and get better, which I know sounds a little funny from a person coming uh, with the advanced ALS. Ev, how hard is this to have conversations with Bruce about a tipping point where it's just too painful to live? 
Well, it is very difficult. Oh, I think the worst thing you can do is see somebody you love suffer. And as much as I want Bruce with me, I don't want to see that. I, I don't think I could bear to see unrelenting suffering. So as much as I, I hate to admit it, I, would, uh, I support his decision if he decides it's too much. There were clearly complicated and difficult decisions ahead for Bruce and his family. But Bruce was the type of person who carefully researched all aspects of a problem or situation and then tried to make as rational a decision as possible. He was deliberate, and he certainly was planful, and that included his wishes for how he wanted the end of his life to go. A study published in 2014 in the Journal of the American Geriatric Society indicated that more than 70% of seniors have a so-called living will or advanced medical directive. It gives doctors and loved ones a guide to preferences for end-of-life medical care. Bruce revised his advanced care directive, or living will, as his thinking evolved on his impending death. As his time grew shorter, he and his wife, Ev, found great comfort in the advice and support, physical and emotional, given to them by their hospice care team. Making the choice of hospice, for me, has actually allowed us to focus on the way that we live. And um, I think that's a marvelous gift, particularly as I am going through the kinds of things one goes through in the last part of their life, asking those questions that we need to ask, saying those things to people that we need to say. That's what I'm being able to concentrate on, not concentrating on whether or not I'm going to have to put up with one more treatment. There is research that says that people who go into hospice actually live longer, their families do much better afterwards, that by facing death and embracing death, you actually get to focus on life. And that, to me, is a tremendous gift. I That's how I want to die. I want to die fully alive. Sometimes they help us ask the questions that we didn't know we needed to ask. And I think that was our last meeting with our hospice people. They presented us with some choices that we didn't realize were ours to make. Choices such as? Choices as, I I guess I always assumed that nothing would ever get better. It would just get worse and worse and worse. And I would lose, Bruce Bruce would lose his voice. Bruce would end up choking, or I'd have to watch him not eating and starving to death. Or, you know, just we'd have to go to the end with unbearable pain. The fear of how this ends has been a palpable presence that was between us. Since we've had the opportunity to talk and to um, liberate ourselves from that fear because we are not powerless in this process. We have choices. Bruce has choices that he can make so that it doesn't have to go to a terrible end. The choices involve refusal of medical treatment. Ever honest, 
Kramer bluntly admits that he's being kept alive by an external ventilator, a BiPAP machine that pushes air into his lungs through a tube that's placed in his nostrils. If he were to quit using the machine, it's likely he'd die in a few days. So if he decides that he's reached a tipping point where the pain, the losses are too much, he says he may decide to stop treatment. It's my legal right. It's also, I see, my moral right. And uh, because the treatment is what is keeping me alive, you know, I mean, it's not like, okay, on May the 15th, I've decided to turn off the BiPAP. Or, like, I have everything to say about this. Things could move more quickly. We are not talking about suicide here. We're talking about basically saying that this body cannot survive without these treatments. And the suffering is so great that all the treatments are doing is prolonging suffering. I think most people would understand that. And so that's what I was afraid of. I think that's what Eb was afraid of. And I think if most people were honest with themselves, they would be afraid of that too. We've been talking about tipping points in this conversation. And I know there are going to be some listeners wondering, is Bruce close to the point of welcoming death? Are you? Some days, absolutely. And it will get harder. And at some point, it's just too hard. For Ev, the decision to support her husband's decision to end treatment comes after a heart-wrenching experience with her 87-year-old father who was dying of brain cancer. Some members of her family wanted him to push on and continue life-sustaining treatments. I was with my father and said to him, Dad, I'm sure you feel that things are being done to you and you don't have a lot of control, but I want you to know that when you are done... When you feel like you've had enough, I will support you in that decision. And it was holy time to be with him and to be able to say, it's okay, Dad. I I support you and I'll help the family come around to this. I told Bruce early on that I would walk with him to the end. And when he decided he was done, I would support that decision. Say, Bruce... Are you worried about the perception of maybe your sons, perhaps, that you gave up by making the decision, I'm done, take me off the BiPAP? Is that a factor here, perhaps? Uh, Of course I am. I don't want them to believe that I gave up when I could have continued. But I also think my sons and their wives have just grown immensely in this past four years. And so if and when, and it's really when, we come to this point where I I believe that it's time, then I think that they know in many ways that is an act of love, that it is an act of, of tremendous caring for them and for me and that what we will have left is love because love doesn't go away. They know that my love will be there with them. 
and with my own spiritual beliefs, believe that I'll be with them again at some other time. On the next Living While Dying, an ALS story, experiencing a beautiful sadness.